0: Hello, and welcome to the podcast. My name is Dr. Louise, and I help the survivors of narcissistic abuse feel understood, heal deeply, and move forward from the past. Now in today's episode, I'm going to be talking about uh, the decision-making process that led me to um, decide to go to my father's memorial service. Um, Over on Instagram recently, I posted a reel that was about, um, like, it wasn't about this topic in particular, but I mentioned that I was going to go to this memorial service because I've decided, you know, basically for a couple, like at least a week, maybe two weeks, I've already decided that I'm going to do this thing. Um, so it's kind of old news in my mind, <laughs> but I realized I hadn't really shared um, that process. And I, I saw that a couple people were surprised that that was my decision. So, um, you know, I'm not here to like defend my decision or anything. Um, this isn't coming from a place of defense or, you know, I'm not like it's not surprising to me that some people were like, oh, I, I would have guessed you didn't do you weren't going to do that. Um, this is really just coming from a place of, of transparency. Um, And the hope that, you know, those of you who might someday be in a similar position to me where the main toxic person in your life, um, you know, was your parents and you might have to make this kind of decision about whether you're going to go to the memorial service as the parent or as the child of this human being. Um, You know, I want to just show you how I've been thinking about it and the steps that I've been taking. Obviously, your situation's going to be very different than mine in a lot of ways. So, you know, if on your journey you decide you don't want to go to the memorial of any toxic people or you decide that you do, like, there's no wrong answers here. This is a very deeply personal thing. And um, my hope is that by me sharing a little bit about my experiences, you'll just have a little bit more information um, in at any point in the future when you might be making similar decisions, right? Okay, so with all that out of the way, I want to back up a little bit to a time before my father had passed. Um, you know, my, my father's health was not good for a lot of his life, um, at least in the last decade. He basically was totally fine, never went to the doctor, was too macho for the doctor uh, the majority of my childhood, um, and probably even predating that, he never really went to the doctor. Um, but a couple years out from me going to college, and um, he had developed some chronic issues, and he was still kind of that macho guy who didn't really like going to the doctor. And so, um, long story short, he ended up with a very complicated medical situation, and had been like that for nearly a decade now. Um, so, okay. The In that process of all of these medical complications, he was hospitalized for months on end numerous times. And I was usually on the front lines of that experience. I was, you know, his advocate in the hospitals. I was spending all day, every day, like my entire life just completely on pause. Um, I had to take a, a pause from my graduate work. I had to stop my degree for um, at least one semester it was really like nine months in order to do that more effectively uh, for him because you know when I when I moved to graduate school I moved across the country from where he lived um, which wasn't like a super intentional thing graduate school is more um, usually when people are going to graduate school especially at the PhD level you kind of go more where the program is right rather than based on the location that you want so I ended up far away and I need to come back to, to deal with this stuff because there was nobody else basically. Um, So in, in that process of me being here on, on the front lines of most of my father's medical things, there were several times that uh, realistically it was, it was looking very likely that he was going to pass. Um, He was, he was quite good at escaping death for what it's worth. Um, And there were times where it was, like, it wasn't really clear why he ended up, like, getting better, exactly. Like, it's not that the doctors thought it was impossible that he would improve. His situation was never quite that dire until right here at the end. Um, But in general, it was just kind of, I don't know, it it just kind of happened sort of organically. It wasn't always a product of the actual direct work that the doctors were doing. So in all of these experiences, uh, my father's death was not like a new thing in my in my mind. I had faced this actual like this possibility. Obviously, I never faced the actual events until most recently. But throughout all of these times where I became his you know, medical advocate, his primary caregiver in all of these instances, I had thought hard about what is this going to look like? What am I going to do? How is this going to, how, how am I going to deal with all this? Um, So it wasn't totally a foreign thing for me to think about, you know, burials and memorial services and kind of facing these sorts of issues. And, you know, up until it actually happened, up until the time my father actually passed, um, especially like when I went no contact. For me, when I go no contact with someone, um, I I make that decision knowing that they might die without me talking to them. For me personally, it is just an active part of my decision making process when I set really big boundaries um, because I don't want to be caught off guard. I don't want to be surprised if something like that happens while I have my, my no contact up. So, you know, I kind of was actively thinking about what if he dies, I mean, his medical condition was still complicated, still nuanced here. Um, And it was it seemed to be on a trajectory of getting more complex, um, which is a natural thing as we age, of course. Um, So he you know, when I went no contact, it was one of the things that was really hard for me about going no contact with my father is I was actively having to reconcile with the fact that he might die and I might not have talked to him. Right or he might die, you know, like because he had a a medical emergency and I wasn't checking in on him at the house or, or whatever. So, he was having to go to doctors facilities a lot when I felt comfortable going no contact, so I kind of thought that there were some other checks and balances kind of to prevent some of those things from happening, which is in part some of the reason I felt able to go no contact um, because it was really it was his health that kept me involved in that relationship for a long time. And I think now I, I'm pretty confident in saying he actually leveraged his health issues to keep me involved, that there was a some kind of intentionality in his decision making process. Um, To make sure that I stayed involved. Um, And the main reason I say that is because he at times exacerbated his. His issues. um, Basically through neglect. Through inaction on things. Um, Stuff that was totally in his control. Stuff where he had enough time. Even if he was having a bad day. He could have taken action. That would have obviously helped the situation. And often would have meant that I had to be less involved. And he opted not to do that. So when I went no contact, I was really wrestling with all this stuff. And I, I decided that the things had gotten so severe, it was appropriate for me to go no contact, even in light of his potential passing. So I was really confident that if he did become ill um, and, and pass away, that I wasn't going to violate that no contact boundary. Because when I set it, I envisioned that moment, right? I I knew that that was possible. I hoped it wasn't going to happen. I hoped this was someday way in the future. You know, I did not go no contact with with, um, any wishes that this kind of thing would take place, but I did go no contact being mindful that this was a very real possibility, especially given my father's medical history. So 100% sure I wasn't going to break no contact. And I, I did sustain that. I did not see my father. Um, I have not seen my father in about three years. When I went no contact originally, um, so I didn't see him when he was hospitalized this time. I didn't see his his uh, his body even, because uh, I'm not. I'm just like not for me personally. I'm just not like a big let's look at the corpse kind of person. That doesn't bring me closure. Um, so. And the kind of uh burial that he wanted didn't have any embalming or any of the things that might make a viewing kind of possible. So didn't didn't see that. And that that was that was totally fine for me. That was, you know, that was a, a conscious choice. I could have if I wanted to view the body, but I did not want to. And um that's that's where we were with that. So the no contact stuff stayed really robustly through. The three years, basically, Um, very tiny little blips here and there, Um, basically logistics that had to be addressed when those moments came. No real communication of anything substantive um, between me to my father over that time. So I really bought myself three years, three whole years of of healing right of getting some space from what was happening in that time period I had to radically revise my understanding of who my father was in my life um because prior to going no contact I was still kind of under the illusion that he was the good guy and my mother who if you've listened for a while know she's also toxic um she was the bad guy and so my dad was the hero of the story and my mom was the the bad guy and my mother's abuse was significantly more overt and worse than my father's. So I, I bought into that narrative. I, I bought it wholesale and as I needed to go, no contact and stuff, as you know, my father developed a relationship with me as an adult after 18, it became clearer and clearer that that narrative didn't really make sense, that there were some problems with it. And in that three year period, I really came to realize. My mother was deeply flawed, but so so was my father. And some of the ways that he um, abused me were much more manipulative than my mother. So all of that is to say, I thought about him dying when I went no contact. And in that time, I sense between going no contact and his actual passing, I had the opportunity to heal in virtue of the boundaries that I set up. While he was still alive. So, uh, we're going to take a quick little break. We're going to hear from our sponsor. And then when we come back, I'm going to talk about how all of this adds up to my decision to actually go to his memorial service in San Diego. So, when I got the news that he was in hospice, I, I got that information literally hours before he actually passed. He was already in the active dying phase. So, there wasn't there wasn't a lot of like, go talk to him because he wasn't, it's not like he was conscious, right? So like that very little final stretch, I knew he was hospitalized. I knew his condition was serious in various ways, but I didn't actually know at the very last stretch um, until it was, you know, like the decisions had already been made, right? Like we're just, we're just living out this no contact right up to the last moment. So I stepped in that day. Um, There was a family friend in town who had seeing him through his final hours on this world in this world. And, um, you know, I came together with this person, this person knew me since I was young. So I wasn't, it wasn't like a stranger to me. Um, and we, you know, my partner, this family friend and myself, and at points, um, one of my family members, um, on the phone, uh, we all set up all the the funeral stuff. We did all, the burial would just did a graveside thing. It was, it was intentionally not like a memorial service. It was just, um, you know, sending him off into his final resting place in my, in my family in general and my father's beliefs. Uh, there's no special attachment to the body. Um, the, the thought is that the person has left, that the, the soul has gone wherever souls go. So, um, not a lot of special attention needed in, in those situations. So we just got some of his, um, students from, uh, from around town, a few of the people that he knew, his neighbor who helped him some. And we did the pall bearing stuff. We got him into the ground. We said a couple words. It was 20 minute, 20 minute long thing at the graveside. Right. And that felt totally appropriate. Uh, it felt like we were following his wishes. All that seemed good. An interesting thing happened to me though in in that process the family friend wasn't able to be there because uh, they need to return to to uh california so it was my partner and me and essentially a bunch of strangers like i didn't know these people i didn't know the neighbor i didn't know his students i like these are literally just strangers to me and um the majority of the people there setting the neighbor aside were were his students um my 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 father was a, he would teach, um, retired people. That was his main activity here in the town that we live in. Um, and so, you know, his students, his students adored him. His students loved him. This this has been true. He, He did this kind of teaching work in other places. It's always the case that his students are giant fans. They think he's God's gift to teaching and, you know, all these things that if, if you're a survivor of a toxic person, you know, it can hit a little wrong to have people telling you that this person's a rock star and they're amazing and they're the best thing ever when like, you know, that that's not how they showed up for you. And so I was a little bit braced going into this thing. I didn't know how many people were going to come because we basically just like sent out a like an email and... You know when you're working with retired folks they're not always super email savvy so like we had no idea honestly if like we were gonna have enough pallbearers basically we had the ground keeping staff there to support us if we didn't have enough people um but we were we were fine there was just enough so we all we all came together we did a little thing and each one of those people wanted to share with me how wonderful and amazing my father was and i kind of expected that because I, I know, right, I've i have been on the front lines of this sort of stuff with my father for a very long time. I know the kind of rhetoric. I know the way that people perceive him. And I thought that that was going to be like crushing. I thought I was going to hurt so bad hearing people tell me that this man who, was, who mistreated me so severely that I didn't talk to him for three whole years, right? Three whole years, a long time. I mean... You know, not the longest, but I could have gotten like a degree in that time. (laughs) Like it's like a pretty substantial, you know, having them tell me these things that he's so wonderful was going to hurt. And it didn't. It actually did not hurt. It definitely felt like it wasn't true, but I could see how from their perspective what they were saying was true. I could see like if I could if I could just like set down my own my own place in the world for a second. And pick up their perspective. I can see how they were saying things that were authentic and true. And it actually helped me feel a little bit like, okay. You know, I think we can pretty safely say that my father didn't always do right by me. But he did do some good in the world. There was some good there. Like, for these people, he was like a rock star. And super entertaining and blah, 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 right? Like, so... I I felt like it was going to be really m- cruel to hear those things. But in the moment what it felt like was a little bit of a reminder that my dad is complex. He was complex. He did a lot of harm to me and we cannot deny that. <laughs> like those them then there are the facts, right? Like <laughs> he caused a lot of harm to me. And I needed those boundaries a lot. And I feel good about those boundaries. If you listen to the last episode, I talked about how I I don't regret those boundaries at all. But an accidental thing happened to me in virtue of setting those boundaries. And that was that I did enough healing work. I created enough space that I could actually hear the good things about him and not feel immediately disgusting. Right, I've actually done enough work that I could I could take those good things for what they were. They weren't lies. They weren't undermining the my evaluation of the situation. Like they were people who had limited experiences with him, reflecting on how those experiences were positive for them. And I'm I'm gonna go on a limb here and say for many narcissists that's gonna be the case, especially for um, covert narcissists. Right. So these are people who um the abusive part is very low key it's kind of like in back rooms it's not front and center um for many covert narcissists it's going to be really important that they project this kind of narrative as being wonderful and amazing in some sorts of ways and for a lot of my father's life he did that through teaching it wasn't only through teaching though um he also did it through his other um professional work so I discovered through this burial that hearing people say these things to me didn't hurt the way that I thought. It just gave me a little bit... I mean, I'm not going to say I loved it, but it felt familiar. And it was good to touch base a little bit with the fact that there, like my father did create some good in the world. It was complicated. It wasn't toward me a lot of the time, but... You know, uh, it's always better to have more good than than no good, right? So in that moment, I kind of, I realized that day when we buried him that I was probably going to be okay to go to the memorial service. I realized that day because I was like, hey, that didn't actually feel like garbage. That felt okay. So when um, my family is not organizing this memorial service, A um, kind of professional colleague of of my father's is, so when she came over, she knows the situation was a little bit complex with me and my father. She was like, hey, you know, um, this is the date and time we're thinking of, you know, kind of, she was kind of like saying like, do you want to come? Like she wasn't being direct. She was very gentle, very much appreciate her. Um, And I was like, I think I can, I actually think I can do this because it didn't feel like garbage. So why, why do I want to do it? Well, for one, I kind of want to be around my family. (laughs) Y'all know, y'all know I have complicated feelings about my family, but most recently my aunts and my cousin, I have, there's two people in my family who have stepped up, been more open, more honest with me, been a safe place to talk to. Um, I would kind of like to see them. So that's one reason. Another reason is as much as it's, you know, I know that most of my father's colleagues and the people who are going to be there and praise him don't, didn't know him the way I did. Um, It's good to touch base with the good things he brought into the world. Cause I have not been very in touch with those um, because the other stuff was been too aggressively in my face for so long. And The good he did does not outweigh the bad. It does not, like, it's not a comparison, right? Like, I'm not keeping a tally or something. But I think in this moment, because this is the last time there's going to be anything kind of public where I would be reminded of either the good or the bad, right? I think um, it makes sense for me to just touch base with the good bits a little bit. One of the things that's really important to me about going to the memorial service is that like i want to do it in a in a really selfless way selfless l-e-s-s and what i mean by that is i'm not interested in educating anyone on the uh, the whole picture of my father i might speak with my family in private about those things if they seem open to it if they're receptive to hearing that stuff um but the people at this memorial service are not going to by and large be folks who would benefit from hearing that this person was anything less than what they already believed. You know, I, I want to show up and I want to, it's kind of like for one last time for the living, not for the dead, right? My father didn't even want a memorial service really. Like this is, this entire thing is for the living, not for the dead. So for those people you know, I wanna for the last time, hopefully, like, we're counting on this being the last time. For the last time, I'm just gonna show up and kind of perpetuate the narrative that they have known, um, because I don't think that there's any good in challenging that narrative for them now. I'm probably not gonna interact with these people ever again because I don't I don't work in these professional spaces right? Like my, my work was very intentionally, I picked a, I picked a thing to focus my degree on and the kind of work I do to be radically different than my father's because I did not want to have him telling me how to do my shit any more than I had to, right? Like I wanted to do something different. So most of these people are just, they're people who've kind of known me because um, I was dragged around to, to all of dad's professional stuff since I was a baby, Um, basically, because my mother was more or less out of the picture. So I was at every conference. I was participating in every single thing, basically. (laughs) They all kind of know me as a little kid. Um, They don't really know me at all because they just, you know, heard whatever from dad and then I was physically present. And I would say they didn't even really know dad. They knew the person that dad projected himself to be right? One of the things I was thinking about is, you know, they, they say there's like the legend and then there's the man, right? There's the legend and the man. And, you know, all of his professional colleagues, all of his students, they all knew the legend. They knew who my father projected himself to be. They knew him as this larger than life, uh, very educated, very smart, very articulate human being. But I knew him as the man, So that stuff was true. He was smart in some way. I mean, he was like, like he had certain kinds of knowledge, like very extensive knowledge in those spaces, right? And he, he was articulate and he had a certain amount of charisma, but the man was also deeply flawed, um, made a lot of mistakes, um, hurt a lot of people, did stuff that you really shouldn't do, was very naive in certain parts of his life. Right. So I know the man. And today I'm I'm a person that knows the man more than anyone. Like I I'm it I know I know I knew my father more than any other human being. Um that what might have been challenged with like there are people who knew him obviously when he was younger, before I was born better than me, but certainly who he was here in the last half of his life. Um I'm the one that knows. So You know, these people are are there to celebrate the legend. That's what this whole thing is. The memorial is to celebrate the legend. And the truth is, they're right about what the legend was. That that's who he projected. Super smart, very articulate, you know, loves his field of study, loves doing scholarship, loves all this stuff. Um, you know, is ready to talk your ear off. Right? That's that's the legend. And even though I wrestle a lot, I wrestle every day with who he was as a man, right? Who he was, you know, outside of that legend. I don't think that it's going to cause me harm to acknowledge that the legend was part of, it was part of the package. He was the legend and the man and almost no one knew the man. And I think at the end of the day, I'm glad, I'm glad that not so many people knew the man because. If you knew the man, it drastically undermined the legend. And I'm going to go on a whim here, on a, on a whim, on a limb, and say that he kind of knew that. And that's why he didn't want to, you know, he wanted to keep those spaces really separate. The people who got to know him as a man were not the same people who respected him as the legend. So I think on some level he understood that the two weren't fully compatible in the way that maybe in a perfect world we we would hope, right? So long story short, I don't know how to wreck this episode, but if you haven't noticed, I have no notes. I'm just kind of like talking through the stuff. Um, Why am I going to my father's memorial service? Well, first I'd say before he died, I didn't think I would. I definitely was like, nope, nope, nobody, nope, nope, nope. Right? I was very confident I wasn't going to do it. Once he died and I had that experience at the grave site, I was like, I might have actually healed enough to be able to hear what they're saying and not have it hurt me. So that made me feel like I was ready. I was like spiritually healing wise ready. Not to say it's not going to be hard. I'm planning on it being (laughs) hard. I'm planning on needing to sleep a lot. I'm planning on being kind of an emotional wreck. I'm just planning on all that stuff. Um, But I don't think it's going to be devastating in the ways that I thought it might be. And then like one other reason that i really want to go is because i want to do it for the living i think if i was not there i think if you know i'd been i was at my dad's stuff a ridiculous amount as a child like ridiculous i'm like a little kid at a conference in the back doing my coloring like i was with dad for everything always which wasn't healthy codependent not good but that's what people came to expect around dad and i think if i was absent for this event that would really challenge the way most people understood what was going on with Dad. and i don't think challenging the living right now is going to be useful i think it's okay for them to just have known the legend you know i it's okay like let somebody let somebody think that there was some good here Um, and let that bring them some comfort because I, I I know, I know what the things were like and they don't need to, right? Not everybody needs every piece of knowledge. Now, if they stumble into my Instagram (laughs) or they come across this podcast, they might suddenly discover that they need to rewrite some of the ways they were understanding this story, but, uh, the vast majority of them are not going to do that. So, you know i want to show up for for the living and i don't owe them anything i do not have to do that i have no obligation i feel no obligation from my family or from anyone to come to this event it is something i am i am freely choosing to do because i believe that i'm in a place where i can and if it's possible for me i would prefer to do it than not to do it so that's it. That's that's why I'm going. I have no idea how it's going to go, guys. <laughs> I might come back and be like, "Wow, I was so dumb." <laughs> like, I might come back and just have like so much regret. But from my perspective now, which is where I have to be making the decisions, I'm going. I've got I got the trip books. Um it is not just going to be a trip of the memorial service. We are also going to I'm going to hopefully spend some time hanging out with my friends and family insofar as they're available. And I'm going to spend some time on the beach. And then we are going to go to Disneyland because that's like visiting my grandma. Disneyland for me is really connected to the good, healthy parts of my childhood. Um, so we're going to go there. And that's kind of like an extension of hanging out with family for me, honestly, which I know might sound weird, but um. Well, we can talk more about that another day, but I am finding good in this trip. I am actively making choices to, yes, we're going to do the memorial. It's going to be about that, but it's not just going to be about that because we don't need to linger too much, right? Well, I hope that you found this episode informative Um, I really just wanted to be more transparent about what was going on with me and why I'm thinking the way that I do, why I'm making the choices that I do. Like I said, this was not coming from a place of defensiveness. This was really just about sharing with you. Um, because I think not a lot of people talk about what this journey is like, and I want to, I, I feel able and I want to share with you guys. So I hope it was informative you know, hit me up on Instagram. I'm at empowerment through thought over there. I'd love to hear what you thought of this episode, or if you have any like questions or anything that's lingering in your mind about what this experience has been like, or the things that you might want to know, um, thinking about your own journey with your toxic parent or toxic relative, um, you know, hit me up. I'm, I'm happy to chat with y'all. All All right. I'll catch you guys in the next one. Bye-bye.